Drumming. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today my guest is drummer Megan Coleman. Megan was born in the heart of Detroit. She grew up in church, learning from the rich culture that is Detroit gospel, jazz, and R&B music. After a couple life detours that took her from Texas to Nashville, to Jordan in the Middle East, and back to Nashville, where she's had the opportunity to grow and flourish in the industry as a live and session drummer, and sometimes as a DJ. Most recently, she can be found touring with the Grammy-nominated artist, Yola. If you're interested in supporting what Zach and I do here at the podcast, you can become a Patreon member. Find us at patreon.com slash working drummer. Any donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content that's provided by our former guests. This content covers a variety of topics, but it's all educational and applicable to the working professional. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can make a one-time donation through PayPal, and you can find links to both of these things on our homepage at workingdrummer.net. And while you're there, you can find out more about this episode and the over 300 episodes that we've done over the years. And no matter what your platform of choice is for listening to podcasts, giving us a like, a rating, and review always helps us grow. So I really enjoyed this conversation with Megan Coleman. This is one of those situations that reminds you how small our world is, not only in the music community, but in general. In doing some research about Megan, I found out that she had worked with refugees, and my wife had spent a lot of time working in the refugee community. And when I mentioned this to Megan, she said my wife looked familiar. And when she came over for the interview, we had discovered that they both had worked at the same refugee agency at different times. So that was a fun and interesting moment where worlds were colliding, uh, the music industry and the nonprofit world, which my wife's always been a part of. And I'm super proud of her for, for being a part of that. We don't talk a lot with Megan about her time there, um, but I think you'll find from our conversation the type of person that Megan is and her kind of global view of music and the way she sees the world uh, is really inspiring. And I'm so glad that uh, she was able to take some time to speak with us. And I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Megan Coleman. Name Yola, and we have been opening for Chris Stapleton oh, cool. since I think like August. Um, so for the last few months, like doing that and doing festivals. So yeah, it's been pretty busy. I've been out on the road 
much more than I usually am just in general. Um, even pre-COVID, I didn't, I kind of intentionally didn't go on the road a whole lot if I didn't have to, because mm. I don't like to. Um, so uh, this is a wonderful time to make an exception for sure, because it's a great group of people, great music. Nice. And fun. I, you know, it's interesting because we had a chance. I had a chance to talk with uh, Derek Mixon. Oh yeah, um, probably about a year and a half ago. Okay, and um, you know, f- for those of us that play in and around Nashville, like if we're playing any type of cover type gig, we're playing Chris Stapleton. Oh, every time, every day. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. At and least three songs. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the least. three. Yeah, there's the, the one. There's the one, <laughs> and then if someone knows the other two, then yeah, they're yeah. doing those. Yeah, and I, I have no problem playing any of them. Yeah, I, I love them. Man. Oh, they're great songs. So, so tell me about the again the session you have. It's an, like an educational online network. Yeah, so uh, I think it's called Melodics. Yes, uh-huh. um, and from what I can tell, it's like an app that yeah, it's like an online. Um, network where you can learn different instruments and they so you know how like rock band like those different video games yeah. have like the the steps or whatever that you do like uh, and like telling you how to play like after like each step or whatever so yeah. it's kind of like that so um it'll tell you like hit this key or hit this drum or hit this like blah 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 like that kind of thing um so i i am doing like a session with with them today wow yeah so do you know, like, what's involved, or you're going to show up and they're going to be like... I mean, I... It's kind of, yes. Yeah. Like, they sent me some information. I, you know, there's some questions involved, and I, I have to just, like, play by myself for a little bit, and uh-huh. then they want me to follow along with the with a lesson, which will be hilarious, because I'm really bad at those things. Um, so <laughs> I'm like, okay, I mean... I think I'm expected to be good at this, but I'm not. Like, I'm not even. I'm not even good at rock band, frankly. Um, <laughs> even like the easiest. I don't think that's. Level. I don't think though that that that's really informative. I know, of, of but what I people's abilities really, are. I always felt like really embarrassed because other people were good at it. And I'm like, maybe just because I'm like, oh, this is where the yeah. one is supposed to be, or whatever, and it's right, like right. not that. So it, no, it's yeah. all based on a set of parameters that video game programmers, exactly. did, not musicians, probably. Even though. I think like Guitar Hero or rock, or Guitar Hero or Rock Band. I think George Harrison's son had a part uh, okay. in developing the game, like long before the Beatles version came out uh-huh. of Guitar Hero. One of the things I wanted to ask you about: How long have you been here in Nashville? So I moved here in 2009 mm-hmm. from uh, Texas. I'm from Detroit. I lived in Texas for like six years. Um, moved here in 2009 for. Almost two years, and then within that time, I had gone to visit Jerusalem for a few weeks with a friend um, and met this couple who lived in a uh, Palestinian refugee camp, told them I'd always wanted to live in the Middle East, as one does, Um, (laughs) and uh, they're like, great, come live with us, and I was like, awesome, I'll see you in a couple months, Um, and so then I like finished out uh, some tours and stuff, went to live in the Middle East for like three years. And during that time, I still considered Nashville home. Like when I would come to visit the States, I would go to Detroit to see my family, come to Nashville to see friends, go to Texas to see friends or whatever. Um, So it was still home during that time. I just was gone for like three years. And then I came back in 2014. I've been here since. So 
for a while now at this point it's kind of been home um, yeah and i want to get into your travels and like all that stuff for sure Mm -hmm. but um just hanging on nashville for just for a second like what drew you here um so i i studied biology or like well theology and then biology and really had no intention ever of pursuing music as mm-hmm. a profession. I thought it was absurd. I still do, frankly. Um, <laughs> because I was just like, no, I want to make some money, like clearly. Um, Wait, I get paid for this? Yeah, and I and I, I, I frankly didn't think that I was like good enough to pursue mm. uh, music. But I lived with um, a friend in Dallas, and she had wanted to move to Nashville to like do music and stuff. And she was always like, we should move there together and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, that's not going to happen. Um, and so, yeah, I, I actually auditioned for Berkeley. Like I was in, I was in school studying biology and then all of a sudden I was like, oh shit, is this what inspiration looks like? Cause I had started having like all these ideas and writing a bunch and actually inspired to practice, which I never am. Um, and so I was like, okay, I'm going to try to get into Berkeley. If I don't, then I know that I need to be in a music community if this is something that I want to, like, pursue. Because Dallas has, like, has its good stuff as far as music, but it's not, like, a music community. You know what I mean? Like, in, right. I in mean, the same way. North that, Texas is so close, and I think the community spills over in there. Is that would that, is that yeah, safe? I was I was a good, like hour away from that area uh-huh. um and honestly like i hate driving and i hated how much i had drive and in, in dallas mm-hmm. everything was like an hour away i felt like yeah so i was over that anyways and just wanted to be like at a smaller place and um and a place where there was really like music everywhere you know and so i auditioned for berkeley um i didn't get in and so I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll just try Nashville. And I gave myself like two years um, at the time. I think it was what, like 24 or 25 or something. I was just like, I'll just give it two years. Mm-hmm. Um, if it doesn't, if something doesn't work within that time, like at all, then I'll just go back to school, yeah. you know, or go on to nursing school. Um, and then within that two years, I moved to the Middle East. So I had to give myself a little bit more time anyways. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, yeah, Nashville, I was not really on my radar until, like, my friend kept putting that bug in my ear, and here we are. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 really funny. My, my wife said the same thing. She's like, I, I give this two years, and then I'm out. Yeah. She's like, I can't take it. If, if one more lady calls me sweetie, I'm going to punch her, you <laughs> yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I couldn't do it. Yes. But now she, she loves it. I mean, we laugh about it now yeah. after 21 years. Now of, she's calling everyone sweetie. Now she's, yeah. <laughs> no, not true, but, uh, <laughs> but she gets it. She's, yeah. you know, uh, she gives people a lot more grace these days. For sure. Uh, as you do. Yeah. Um, uh, so when you came back and you moved to Nashville, or when you came back to Nashville, mm-hmm. Was there anything proactively that you did to be like, okay, well, I'm back now. It's time to get to work. It's uh... not for, um, <clears throat> not for a while, because I, I came back. Well, I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer when I lived in Jordan mm-hmm. and had surgeries there, and then came back to the states to do chemo. So I was doing that for about six months, and I still, I was still attending a church at the time, so I was still playing in church, like, um, I, don't know, I guess a couple times a month and like during chemo and everything. And, uh, I think I played a couple gigs actually, like a 
damn lunatic. Um, and then after chemo is when I started working as a caseworker. So I didn't really have the energy for a whole lot of like putting myself out there as it yeah, were. And yeah. I was playing in like one band um, yeah. at the time with like some friends from church and stuff. So it was kind of like, it wasn't really that low maintenance actually, but it was supposed to be. Um, and so, but it was, it was fun. It, it, you know, allowed me to go and like kind of suss things out with friends just at the house and drinking whiskey and like, you know, hanging out or whatever. Um, and it was really beneficial in that it, you know, kept my chops up in the, in the time where I wasn't really playing a whole lot and I wasn't like really attending church anymore either. So, um, as like, you know, as not low maintenance as that time was, it yeah. still was like great. Cause by the time I, you know, left that band, left my caseworker job, like all that kind of stuff, I was kind of like, okay, I'm ready to go back into the workforce, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we talked to so many people uh, over the 340 some interviews that we've done. Every we we my co-host and I talk about it and joke about how everybody's story is so unique, mm. and um, and there are stories that are that, that are that parallel each other and, and are mm. similar to yours in in some ways, but but are less common. I mean, there's so many people who have stories about, well, I had to do this and then I knew this person and, and they, I had to call and, I, and, and, and they, you, you know, network and there's mm -hmm. that word and it's like, it's like what, and so some of that stuff to kind of unpack that yeah. and, and for our listeners and say, okay, how did, how did they get this gig and how mm -hmm. did that come about? And okay, if I do that, maybe that will open this door for right. me. Maybe, you know, and how much luck is involved, how much preparation, how much, sure. you know, all that, that, that stuff. But it, it's just, it's, I mean, I think that's, it's, I'm, 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 I'm struggling like in a really good way to know how to unpack mm. this journey that you've been on. Oh, There's yeah. so much on there. It's, it's fascinating mm -hmm. to me, but it's so unique to what I think, what I'm used to. It's almost like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You were uh, playing pots and pans as a kid, and then uh, you know you had an inspiring teacher, and then you went to school, and then you like, oh, I got to go to Nashville, and so you hit the streets, and you right. know went to every jam session. No, yeah, <laughs> which is great. Yeah, which is great. And but, the, and hopefully there, yeah. there's probably some future guest on here going, hey, screw you, man. I'm yeah, not coming exactly. <laughs> guys, go to the jam sessions. I won't be there, but you guys, go to <laughs> you guys should all go. Um, no, I think that uh, there's still so much like for all of us to kind of take a breath here and and know that there's a lot that you can do mm -hmm. to get heard, to get seen. Oh, yeah. Um, but also just relax. Mm -hmm. Let people see who you are. Yeah. Uh, this business is built on relationships absolutely i know and you've talked in the past about this kind of non-traditional approach to learning drums mm -hmm. not in the traditional way that a lot of people have but you know kind of leading with your heart more in your approach to playing mm -hmm. and hopefully you're at a place in your life and experience and and, and the successes that you've had so far to be able to like that's really worked out well for me yeah it has <laughs> yeah yeah were you always were you at any point like subconscious about like oh I I I don't read the way this person reads I didn't oh, have this type every of every day 
every today still you know still what I mean? today yeah like I um I didn't study music and I didn't really take lessons like mm-hmm. growing up or anything like I I took I finally I think around the time I was like 12 or 13 convinced my mom to let me get in drum lessons it took me months to convince her because she was way against me playing drums um <clears throat> and finally did and you know started taking lessons and I I mean, I'm sure he's a great guy, but I remember the teacher, like, <laughs> I maybe I, I was, like, really uncomfortable around the teacher, you know, and I'm a 13-year-old girl or whatever, so oh, I, I yeah. just remember being like, I don't know, like, his vibe feels yeah. weird to me, and my mom was like, okay, well, we're done with that, you know, yeah. and so then I didn't, you know, I just started, like, playing at school and at church, and I just kept playing all the time and getting better, and um, I learned really early on when I my school had started a concert band and I was you know playing percussion and you know how they used to have like the CDs in the back of those books like yeah, yeah. everything so I just like listened to that and learned that I have a great ear and so I had like memorized all the songs and didn't realize and I remember one time we were playing in band and uh, you know I'm just I'm not reading I just like playing what I remembered from the CD. And my band teacher like stopped and was like, Megan, wow, your reading is like perfect. And I was like, oh, this is amazing, actually. I don't have to read anything. <laughs> so this is, you know, something that I, I, for better or worse, learned early on that it could be, I don't want to call it a crutch, but it, it could be, you know, what I kind of leaned on was my ear instead of sh- stressing about the theory and all that kind of stuff. Now I do wish that I'd like paid more attention to learning theory and working mm-hmm. on that and working mm-hmm. on reading and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I I have managed to find ways of getting a- around it, yeah. um, obviously. So it's it's definitely worked. But I, I when I moved here especially, I was just like, there's no way I'm going to be able to, like, have any sort of career here. Like, this is crazy. People are so good. And, like, mm-hmm. not only are they so good, they're so, like, knowledgeable, you know. And I was just like – People like, oh, yeah, you know, this drummer and, like, this style and this, like, grip and all. And I'm like, I have no idea what the fuck yeah. you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, so the whole, like, yeah, fake it till you make it is definitely something that I've leaned on a lot. It's it's really fascinating because I, I think, well, a couple of things to unpack there is I think we've had this conversation before where a lot of people who, who spend a lot of time working out of drum books and studying with a teacher and doing this stuff and spending so much time in the drum world or, or, or that, or, or that we get away from the simple pleasures and take a, the strong takeaways from just listening mm. and how important it is to listen. Yeah. And so many of our heroes grew up just listening and yep. imitating and reacting. Mm-hmm. I, I've learned over time that there, I'm often served better to to spend time just listening to good music mm-hmm. and a drummer that's going to inspire or music that's going to inspire. Absolutely. Before a session or before a gig or before something like if I'm stressing, oh, I didn't have time to run this music mm-hmm. or practice or spend time in the practice room. It's like, man, put some headphones, just shut up, put some headphones Absolutely. on. Mm-hmm. And I, I notice a difference. Yeah. Me and too. so the I mean did you know that when when the teacher brought that up would you were like like this is like mind blown this is I think I you know I I grew up in black church which is 
I think, the best place to learn music, mm-hmm. and I will die on that hill. Um, <laughs> so I just, I was always around really good music, and my mom uh, is, like, loves live music. So our entire childhood, I mean, some of my earliest memories are, like, going to concerts. And, you know, Detroit is, like, home of so many go- gospel legends and jazz legends and, and such. And so we just were always at concerts, you know, growing up. And so I think that I knew early on what I like I was like I know what good music sounds like and I know I knew so many people already at a young age who hadn't taken a a traditional approach to learning music um they all learned in church really and Mm -hmm. just kept playing like and just getting better and and copying each other and like all that kind of stuff and so I think with like I didn't feel as much like pressure I think to like focus on the um, you know, the, like, I guess, theory and, like, all the, like, the studies of it, because I'm like, I guess if this is something that I feel like I'm good at or something that I want to do, I know that there are ways for me to do that without taking this kind of, like, traditional approach. You sure, know? yeah. Um, and, I, and frankly, I didn't, like, care that much about, like, oh, I need, just need to be the best. I need to, like... I, I do think that it's important to like uh, emulate our heroes, which is why I spend I think more time listening than like kind of trying to pick things apart. You know, yeah. I it's not really that important to me to play exactly like someone, um, or even to like be able to play this like this. This is so and so shuffle, or this is like mm-hmm. blah blah blah. Yeah. Um, you know, I of course like in listening to a lot of that kind of those kind of like wonderful artists and great music i noticed that i probably naturally do some of those things just because that's oh yeah but um it was never important to me to like you know get the specifics and like the approach and like well i just i don't really care and for and i'm for some people i recognize that that is really important and you can tell in their playing and and their technique and that's amazing to see for me I don't, I don't, I don't, frankly, I don't spend enough time practicing to like, to like really get down to the nitty gritty of all that. Kind yeah. Of stuff. Yeah. Well, and it, it, it's interesting. Uh, I had a chance to talk with, uh, Don Perry, who was the longtime drummer for Jethro Tull for years. And mm. he was a, a, amazing uh, to talk to and super, super kind. Uh, he said something that has resonated with me ever since we spoke and it's come up a couple times. He said, my definition of good chops or good playing is the ability to play your ideas mm. with clarity. Mm-hmm. And to me, it was, a, it was a chance for me to just kind of relax and be like, yes, the, I, I don't have to sound like everyone else. Mm-hmm. I can sound like me and feel comfortable with that and feel confident in that. Yeah, I have this one... Yeah, I've got like one lick that mm-hmm. I do. How do I make that the best damn yeah. thing that I do? And how do I do it with clarity? Right. And how do I know where to insert it? So that leads me to my other question. What are some of the compliments that you've received from other musicians mm. that you've worked with? Um, Is there a common compliment? There's, that a, there's a common, no one plays like you, which at first I was like, <laughs> I don't know like how to take that actually <laughs> like I don't okay um I think yeah so it's like no one plays like you um you know I think that a lot of people uh reference like 
that I have a lot of power uh, um, mm. in playing. Um, and I don't necessarily think that that means that I just like hit really hard because I try not to if I don't need to. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I guess with like certainty kind of, you know. Um, uh, I think to a lot of people can tell that I grew up like playing in church, mm-hmm. playing worship, like that kind of thing that's kind of just like free flowy kind of situation which is where i like really thrive i love when it's like hey we don't know where we're gonna play yeah i'm like oh my god yes please like that's my favorite thing um so yeah just a lot i think uh power uh there's a a lot of talk about my pocket which i'm most proud of for sure um i attribute that to listening to a lot of motown Uh um and you know stacks and such and that kind of thing so yeah most of that that kind of stuff yeah yeah the important things mm-hmm. exactly yeah stuff that you can't get out of a book necessarily but just no, yeah you can't by listening so detroit to texas to texas mm-hmm. okay can you take us through there because this time in the middle east is amazing and to think about when i heard that you were living there and you did some playing there. Is I that did. Correct? That was awesome. Yeah. Okay. So, from what I understand, uh, I'm doing less timelines these days. But mm-hmm. I feel like with you, it's there's there's a lot to yeah. to that's really important. I think a timeline works really well. But to kind of move along with it, you were 16 when 9/11 happened, mm-hmm. and. Everybody has their story. Sure, yeah. If they if they were alive, if they were cognizant of mm-hmm. uh, uh, that stage of their life, uh, but there was something that resonated with you that mm-hmm. was like I. Well, you tell it. Yeah, I, mean, I had um, I had gone on my first mission trip. I think at fifteen, so like a year before that, um, and then just maybe like three weeks before. 9-11, I just come back from South Africa on another trip. Wow. So um, had already like started traveling and really, really knew already that I like travel was something that I wanted to do. And not just that, like intentional travel. And even in, in doing like missions, I was always like, this feels actually really gross. But I, I like the fact that we're like doing something. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that I'm getting to if this is the means of, by which I like get to travel for a while then you know especially that young like i wasn't gonna be like hey mom i'm gonna go to mexico like by myself which i did but i went with like a group of people that i met like in this organization or whatever Mm -hmm. um so i'd already felt really strongly about like learning other cultures and like all that kind of stuff and i knew that i i wanted to like live somewhere else and learn language and like all that kind of stuff like before 9-11. So when that day happened, I, I actually, I had just come back from the hospital because I had like pneumonia and like all of these other like viral situations happening and just come back, um, finally like was falling asleep after like, I hadn't really slept much in like two weeks. And so I was like exhausted, f- fell asleep. Um, then I hear my mom scream and, you know, so we go out, I go out and like watch the news with her, watch the second tower get hit together. Like all this kind of like, you know, I remember like every specific moment of that day and, 
Um, <clears throat> later that day, you know, everyone, of course, was watching the news, just trying to figure out what had happened. And um, there was a split screen on the news of an Arab woman from Detroit and an Arab woman from Baghdad. And they both were talking about how they didn't want the world to see Muslims, uh, specifically Arabs and such, and um, as terrorists, as threats, as whatever. And I just remember going, well, I guess I should go, go see for myself. And, um, you know, I, I remember, you know, I wouldn't, I, did, I have made a practice even early in life of not telling people what I want to do because uh, there's always someone who's going to shit on your ideas. <laughs> and so I just, I'm glad that I learned that early on. So I just didn't tell really many people that I wanted to do that. And because even the people that I did tell, they're like, oh, like to join the military? And I'm like, no, I'm a pacifist. Oh my God, what? <laughs> um, and, you know, I, uh, yeah, a lot of people like really discouraged it, of course. But uh, I just knew that I, that I made that my entire trajectory. So, even the my plan at that time was to go and like do medical school, become a surgeon, wow. um, and you know that way like as a doctor I could go and work anywhere in the world and that kind of thing and um, and specifically where I was needed and yeah. um, so that was the the trajectory. Yeah. I, and so the fact that like, <laughs> I've even ended up here is actually really hilarious. But uh, I did end up getting to live in the Middle East. So that was wonderful. I it just not in the way that I thought that I would at all. Yeah. Um, and it was honestly, it even it, it was even better than I thought it was going to be, really. It was, in, it was interesting. One of the things in an, in an interview that I heard you on, uh, you mentioned when you were living, no, so when, when you first moved, you were living with a couple on the West Bank. In the West Bank, yeah, in, the West in, a, Bank. Um, in a Palestinian refugee camp. My gosh. Uh, so I guess a 1948 camp. Um, but this was like l like 10 years later, so you were 16. Yeah, I moved the to uh, the Middle East on the 10th anniversary of 9 11, actually. Um, and I'm not sentimental about a whole, well, that's not true. I am sentimental, but especially about like dates and such. Yeah. And um, so it felt really like full circle to move there on that date. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But but you were living there for mm. how long before you? Uh, I was in a, I was in the camp for a couple months. Okay. Um, and the the couple that I lived with, I want to say they had been there for about a year and a half or two. Mm -hmm. um, and there were no other Americans like living in the camp. Mm -hmm. uh, they had just like made really great relationships with some people there and were able to like build a home on top of theirs. Everything's just kind of like stacked homes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I was there in the West Bank, uh, like next to Bethlehem for just a couple months there before okay. going to Jordan. Yeah. Okay. So what was your life like in Jordan? And you said you were playing some music when you were there? Yeah. So in. Um, that kind of happened because I think I had been there for a few months at that time and hadn't gotten to play. And, you know, obviously, um, I was studying Arabic every day, well, like five days a week for like four to six hours, like doing private lessons. And at the time was just trying to like make friends, you know, I didn't really, I knew the locals that like worked at the language center that I went to and was just like trying to figure out how to 
meet people and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I was walking around one day and kind of happened upon this music store um, and went in and some guys were, like, jamming or whatever. And I was like, hey, you mind if I play drums? And they were like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sure. And uh, so then I did just for, like, a second. And I was like, okay, thanks. And they were like, wait, 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 okay. <laughs> what, kind of mu- what kind of music was it? I was just playing by myself on their drum kit. Oh, okay. Like on, at the music store. Yeah. Um, and they were kind of like, okay, well, that was really good. So, like, yeah. do you do this? Like, blah, blah, blah. So we started talking. And um, so I would kind of, like, frequent in there just to, like, hang out and hit something, you know, every once in a while. And then they'd ask me to do this like pub gig, like mm-hmm. on Cajon or something. And it was the guy that I was playing with at the time would do like um, like kind of traditional Arabic music, like, and also covers of stuff like Elvis and like, you know, Little Richard, and, like all this kind of yeah. stuff. Like he really liked old rock like that. Yeah. Um, so we would go from like, you know, Tutti Frutti into like an Arabic song kind of thing. Yeah. Um, which was really very fun. Um, and so it was like myself and like all Jordanian boys, um, <laughs> which was just hilarious, honestly. But, you know, eventually I got to like do some really cool stuff there and play yeah. some really cool events and play for the Prince and like all this kind of stuff. Like, really? Yeah, just like really random things. But, That's amazing. Yeah. Was there any like unique rhythms or drumming that came? Yeah, there's like from... a, I mean, they do, man, what are these rhythms called? I hope none of them listen to this because they're like, Megan, you should know this by now. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of like that, like a lot of that stuff, oh, you know. Cool. Um, and then the, so like similar, like. Like a soca. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, mostly that. It's like between those like two for the most part. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And it's interesting how that, I mean, you hear those styles, especially a couple of what you're saying. It's like, yeah, I hear that. You hear that pop music now mm-hmm. over the last 10, 15 years, yeah. mm-hmm. a lot more so. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really amazing. I've noticed that. Um, I, I just, I mean, the little that I listen to, like, really modern pop music. Yeah. You know, I'm like, wow, this is. Exactly. Oh, yeah. You know, but years ago when I was learning that, I was like, oh, it's this Latin thing that, you know, you play with Latin music. Exactly. And then this is pop music because mm-hmm. it's separate. But yeah. I just have a feeling that as the world has gotten smaller, mm-hmm. you see this convergence of yeah. rhythms and styles and cultures become a part of popular music. Yeah. Which is amazing. Great. Yeah. 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 And then uh, you were diagnosed with ovarian cancer mm-hmm. and as that kind of what brought you back to the states that yeah experience yeah i i I definitely thought that i would have been there longer okay um i i was probably anticipating like five years or so in in jordan um and then yeah i was diagnosed with granulosa cell tumor um actually I, i was visiting the states started having like weird like health things happening and um you know to shorten the story like saw a couple doctors here went back to jordan saw a doctor there surgery another surgery in like two weeks mm-hmm. and diagnosis and um so i was going to actually stay there to do treatment because it's cheaper Amazing. um and you know like 
just to brag on Jordan for a second, they, um, I'm not a citizen, obviously, but for citizens, they get free cancer treatment. I just want us to put a pin in that and take note of that. Um, but, you know, I, I had a great community there, but they were mostly families and such. And I was like, I don't, you know, it was kind of difficult to be like, okay, I'm going to stay here and just have these people who have kids help take care of me or if I need it, you know what I mean? Yeah, it, yeah. Um, it kind of made more sense to just like be back and be around people who could help out if I needed it or whatever. Right. So I came back uh, for that reason. But frankly, yeah, it was, I'm glad that I did because I did have a great community at the time and it was nice. Uh, my family's still in Detroit, so it was good for them to like be able to drive down if, if they needed it and like all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, big big ups to Jordan for their, their medical community and care. You had also mentioned at one point how safe you felt living in Jordan mm -hmm. compared to in the States in yeah. general. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, you know, I, it's interesting because like, I didn't realize that I didn't feel safe until I started traveling, like even as a teenager. Um, you know, when I would leave America, I finally saw what it what like the benefits of being an American were. Yeah. yeah. Because in, in living here, you know, it's not like I don't, you know, I think people, um, when we when in talking about like racism, for example, or like microaggressions or mm -hmm. uh, systemic things, I think people in their minds think like, well, I'm not racist because I didn't like call you this word or mm -hmm. like I haven't done anything directly to you to like stop you from blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, right, the entire systems are set up against, you know, people of color and minorities and, and such. And like if you don't, if you're not someone who has to live that, then you don't see it. And, yeah. you know, and <clears throat> so like being overseas, I I'm like, oh, this is what it's like to have, like, the benefits of being American. Because people, first of all, either, like, are usually really fascinated by America, even if they hate America, um, you know. <laughs> and, you know, there's, like, especially when you think about, like, pop culture and music and, like, all that kind of stuff. Right. You know, America is still, like, cool in, in most of the world when it comes to those things. So, um, and I think, too, like, there's not a whole, like, now there's a lot of, black uh people that black americans that travel i think w with the opening of like social media and seeing actually how safe it is to do so because like it definitely was not something that was encouraged growing up mm. um it's in and in black culture because you know historically it hasn't been safe um yeah. or i guess people didn't know that it was safe unless you're like you know, in the army or something like that, and you're in uh, an overseas position, but people, know mostly it wasn't safe for black people to travel. Okay. So, you know, being, uh, I am usually like the only black American in a place. Um, and in Jordan, I, man, I don't think I saw another like black American for like a couple years. Wow. Um, and so there, like, I think people were always just kind of like, 
first like intrigued like where what is she like where is she from especially like africans were always like what the hell you know or try to like figure figure me out and so then once people like you know realize like oh she's an american so people are like oh that's so cool like we're black people from america awesome oprah and beyonce and like all of that i'm like yeah. thank you for putting me in the category of these people that's, <laughs> that's really great, great. That, yes i have just as much money as they do um so, you know, there was, like, that kind of, like, intrigue. And then just, like, in general, there's no guns. Mm. Um, I mean, of course, there's people who have, like, managed to get them, like, whatever. Like, that's always going to be the case in any country, even with, like, you know. You think of laws. all the imagery that we have of the Middle East and people yeah. riding around with yeah, just Kalashnikovs like, and, exactly, and the back yeah. of their Toyotas. And, and, yeah, there's no, like, there's no guns. So there's not just, like, random like shootings and like all this kind of stuff like again of course people have them you hear them when there's like celebrations and like that kind of thing but there's not like gun violence mm. um and there weren't like just random like really insane crimes like we have here all the time you know like when i would come back to the states and like watch the news it was just like you know within two minutes it's like oh yeah this serial killer is out on the loose and like well like all this like really intense stuff that didn't happen there you mm. know and there's not to say that there's not there are a million set of issues like uh, in of course. Yeah, different but, things but, but as still. far as like my personal safety yeah um i didn't fear for my life like i do here often with and for example dealing with police or dealing with like like mm. i said those everyday kind of microaggressions mm. um now what where i did feel unsafe is in a lot of regard where i feel it everywhere which is dealing with men um and like being harassed in in that way but like i didn't worry necessarily about like my personal safety even with that mm. you know? One of the things that you you've done in the past is DJing, and I'm curious yeah. about that. Like, where did that come from? How has Man. that influenced your drumming? How has drumming influenced your DJing? Because mm. you've done gigs, yeah, a lot as a DJ. A lot. Okay, <laughs> just surprising to me as well. Um, <laughs> a few years ago, I um, I spent a bunch of time, like several months, in Florida. Um, staying with some friends. I didn't have a whole lot of work in Nashville at the time. Like I, I did come back and forth for like a couple sessions and um, rock boat and like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I think I was doing, but I, I spent a lot of time there and I didn't really have, like I was looking for some kind of like part-time work while I was there just to like have some extra money, but I just was like hanging out mostly. And so I, um, I think at the time was just really, I've always wanted to do kind of like a one-man band kind of thing. Um, and I could never figure out how I how to approach that because I don't play melodic instruments well yeah. enough to like do a whole thing by myself and blah, blah, blah. So I think I just started like 
watching different people on YouTube like doing that and um I got I kind of got like really interested in uh like the electronic world and mm. like that kind of thing and um <clears throat> electronic DJs and house music and like all that kind of stuff. So I was I just started spending a lot of time like watching these kind of videos and watching DJs and like how they're I'm like okay if I am going to do kind of a one man band situation like eventually how would I want that to flow like what would I want that to look like so I started like watching DJs a lot hmm. um for like hours a day really and um and then from there I was uh I think I told a friend um one of the times that I come back to Nashville that I you know was interested in starting to DJ and I, you know, started watching some DJ videos and whatever. And he's like, oh, well, I have an extra controller if you ever want to borrow it, like, you know, when you come back, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I started like spending like six to eight hours, I think, like a day just like watching and instructional videos and like all this kind of stuff. Wow. Because um, I'm nothing if not intense uh, <laughs> fully fully in um and so i just yeah, started spending a lot of time doing that um i had like a small like, little rig with me of like my uh roland spd sx or whatever it's called and yeah. um and some like loop pedals and all that kind of stuff so i was trying to like make stuff um on my own and before i had the controller and so um yeah when i came back to nashville i he let me borrow his controller. Um, I posted like on Instagram that I'd you know gotten the controller. I was excited to start learning, and then this uh, friend of mine was like, "Hey, you're a DJ. Great. I have an event in four weeks." <laughs> and I was like, "No, no, no. Like, I'm not a DJ. Actually, I just am learning. Like, I was really you know something I've been interested in for a bit." And she's like, great, it's in four weeks. It's for two hours. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. You're, you're going to be doing fine. It. You're going to be fine. And I was like, oh, my God. But, you know, I, I, I kind of need, like, actual goals. Like, oh, of course. Deadlines, because oh, otherwise course. I'm just like, oh, yeah, this is something I've wanted to do for forever, and I don't do shit. Um, so I, you know, practiced for, like, that several weeks. I, I mean, I literally, I think, had, like, my song list, like, written out. Like, you know, had everything, like, already organized and done like now i can you know just kind of fly and mm -hmm. and do it but i was like petrified you know yeah right um and so yeah i did my first gig um and it was a really like welcoming space too it was just like uh it was something for like the lgbtq community and um so there was a good amount of people there but it was just like very like everyone was there for the same reason you know mm -hmm. and so after doing that gig and it went well, I a um, couple of days later I was downtown on Broadway at one of the places I used to play at a lot, and then I was like, "Hey, if you guys ever need a DJ to fill in, like, let me know." Just kind of like joked, and they're like, yeah. "Oh, great!" And so then I started DJing there like every weekend. Yeah. Um, like literally right after my first gig. What What years were you down there playing? This was. Um, Man, I guess it was like three years ago. So like 2018. I, see, I feel like I, I, that was about the time when I, I came off the road and I started working down there again. And I know sometimes I'd be like running from one place to another. What was the club? Uh, I was at Redneck Riviera. Yeah, I think. I wonder if I've seen Probably, because I mostly started because uh, I was doing stuff with like Side Piece, yeah. you know, Annie Clements yeah. and all them. Yeah, for sure. Um, and... I had definitely avoided Broadway for yeah, all the same yeah. reasons I would encourage people to avoid it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, I it's um, 
you know, they asked me to like fill in for Megan Jane a couple of times. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I was just like, I don't know, like this. Uh. But I had just gotten back to town after being gone for like several months and was just like trying to pick up some stuff and in the name of like making some extra money. Um, and I was like, oh, well, this is nice extra chunk of cash that I don't have to, yeah. <laughs> you know, do whatever with. And so, yeah, I was playing there and then like started DJing there as well. Gotcha. When you're going through that, just the din of downtown and you see a DJ and you're like, what? Wait, what's going on? Yeah, yeah. You know, all the bands and all the things like that. Well, I mean, do you feel as I got this, like I'm a drummer, so like I can, it's easier for me to approach this new thing. Yeah, I think with DJing, you know, the beat matching and all that kind of stuff is half the battle, Um, you know, and like, and going from, you know, maybe this really fast rhythm to something like really slow and how to like work on doing that, you know, so like, um, so you do know theory. I, yeah, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> More than I realize, I think. Um, so, you know, like that, I think drumming has definitely helped yeah. with like how to approach that. Um, and I think there's a lot, of, I've, I've seen a lot of DJs like downtown, especially, uh, or just in different events where I'm like, why are you, why would you go from that song to that song? That was really bizarre. And I realized that like, you know, there's a lot of DJs who actually don't know good music or, you mm. know, and um, I fortunately do. And I've, I've definitely like sought out more music since becoming a DJ because I don't really care about listening to new music um, mm. like at all, honestly. Mm. Um, I kind of listen to like the same things like all the time, especially as, as you understand, like someone who's learning music all the time. I don't necessarily care to like listen to all the newest things that are coming out it's just too much for my brain sometimes yeah um so i've i've enjoyed though like as a dj kind of approaching it because uh you know there's a lot of current music that you kind of do have to listen to you kind of do have to play especially in playing in those kind of settings where it's like people are wanting what you know the latest stuff that's on the radio which is mostly pure trash (laughs) but um you know, so it's like giving people enough of like that that they feel engaged. Being and, knowledgeable like, of it. Being so if somebody wants to pull, like if you're on a session, and it's like, oh, I'm kind of going for this feel. You've got right. to under- have just a base on Exactly. Sure, yeah. Sure, sure. So as much as I hate almost everything that's happening, uh, <laughs> and especially like I think in current like hip hop and such. Um, I'm not a huge fan of it, but there's a lot of great stuff to be found. So yeah. I'm trying to, I try to challenge myself to like get outside of my uh, 90s hip hop brain and see what the kids are up to these days, as it were. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that it's, it has probably helped my drumming too, like DJ, and just thinking about like transitioning, like right to things, you know what I mean? And yeah. Um, so yeah, I I think that I've hopefully been more intentional about those things uh, in the last few years. You know, one of my biggest struggles playing is when you're going to you know you've got a regular groove and then it goes to a cut time. Yeah, and keeping the tempo the same. Mm-hmm. And you know that has always been a challenge because when I go to that cut time, I want to I want to play it faster. Right. But if you're on a session with a click, or you're or you're doing a gig where they mm-hmm. want you to use a click live. And you've got to go from a regular groove to, to that cut time. Yeah. And it's like, 
if you switch to that too fast and then you got to slow down, I mean, it gets draggy and you yeah. hear that. Yeah. You hear that in plenty. It's a really common thing mm-hmm. that people speed up that, that cut time section. Um, but you hear the, the best players that make that transition. And I, I imagine that there's that, there's that you're matching tempos and you're yeah. feeling that. I don't know. It's just yeah. kind of thinking of that, that kind of takeaway from mm-hmm. that experience. It's definitely, yeah. You're using all, all the parts of your brain. It's it. I mean, for me, DJing is still not something that I'm like, oh, yeah, I can just do this like at any point. I still ha- kind of have to like think about it a little yeah. bit. Uh, it's probably mostly my over-anxious brain going, <laughs> oh, you're going to completely fuck this up, which yeah. I think I probably tell myself before I do anything. Yeah. Um, and then I'm like, girl, if you don't, you, you got to chill. So, um, you know, it's but it is still some – it's not like I've been – doing it as long as drumming, you know, so it's still something that I have to, I, it's electronics, which I'm not super comfortable with all the time. Yeah. I, you know, worry about my computer crashing or like all these things. I like, I think I still go into it with a whole lot of anxiety and worry, mm-hmm. but, um, but is it also it freeing though? Cause it's, it's kind of like, well, I'm not a DJ, I'm a drummer. Yeah. So look, I'm just, but people don't know that when you're DJing, you know true, what I mean? Like true. they're like, I mean, there's, I realized recently there's people that only know me as a DJ. Um, Amazing. Which is great, but also really strange. Um, We're just going to rebrand this uh, Working DJ podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Put out two episodes. It's just, two episodes, <laughs> just me and Daniel Ian Jones. There you go. Uh, I mean, do you, do you, after a really good gig or whatever, man, I it's, it's like catching a great wave. Just like, oh, I feel yeah. good. So do you feel that way too, like after a good... DJ gig and yes for sure yeah it's for awesome. sure especially you know again like playing downtown as a drummer is definitely exhausting but you you know have the benefit of being like okay we're gonna go take a bathroom break for two songs or like whatever at least with the people that I play with um or you know you kind of like at least get a breather after like a really fast song or like whatever but DJing, I mean, it's like all on you, and so. Oh, true. Um, so you're not physically working like you are on the drums, but you but are mentally, there. yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's so it's it's um it's a little bit like m- more taxing in that way. Uh-huh. Um, and again, I try to like challenge myself before each time of like, okay, I'm going to. Uh, try to like keep it more up tempo and see like what that feels like for like starting it off like you know I try to give myself like new challenges um, each time so that I'm not just going in like nervous mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. um, but it's it's really fun when it like when it pulls off and it's and it's over especially I, lo- I love when things are over you know I'm not I'm, I'm really like excited about like the thing happening I'm just like I can't wait till it's done so yeah, that my brain yeah, yeah. can just be like finally relax you know yeah um that probably again speaks a lot to my anxiety and such but but you know it's interesting that that I mean, you, you talk about this, and I, I think a lot of us deal with 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 that. Like uh, whether we whether people know it or not, just this level of anxiety and trepidation about taking on new things mm-hmm. or dealing with overwhelming tasks, and especially in today's environment where we're looking at our phones and we're looking at things and social media is telling us that everybody else is doing great right, and doing good. Mm-hmm. And, and so that adds to our intrepidation to yeah. want to do things or handle even just the simplest 
tasks or take a gig. I mean, yeah. we talked about before we started recording when people call me for a gig, I'm not jumping on it. Like I'm like looking at it doing an, oh no, I have to leave the house. Yeah, <laughs> literally, no, literally. <laughs> you know, it's like, what? what's wrong with me? Yeah. Um, and, and so there is, there is this new added weight mm-hmm. that we have uh, on ourselves. Totally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, you've mentioned this, but at the same time, you freaking moved to the Middle East. Yeah. You w- went to medical school for a short time. I was, uh, I did like pre-med stuff. So, But, but like uh, filled out the paperwork. And we're and doing yeah. the thing. We yeah. were on the way. You've mm-hmm. moved, like just for a lot of us, just to move to a new city is a huge deal within yeah. the continental United States. Mm-hmm. You know, so... I don't know my point. I think my point is it, it can be done. Oh yeah, and I, I, these yeah. feelings are real. They're but. real, and they and and I've learned to kind of like um, acknowledge them and yes. be like, I'm fucking terrified. Um, but then and like, go and go, yeah. And I I've started to especially for these like, you know, I think I was a much better like pre-pandemic as I'm sure most of us were about like, you know the. For me, I would be like really anxious before getting on stage and then like walk on stage and be like, I'm going to fucking slay this. Like, you know, I would, mm-hmm. I would have, have my like stage switch that would turn on and then I was fine. Like once I got on stage, I was fine. And now I think just being out of like, or it, it took me a while or it's taken me a while to get back into the like stage mode, yes. especially because it went from like, I've, I've been playing like Broadway and such during the pandemic as well. So yeah. that's. I'm I'm thankful for that, especially financially. But um, <clears throat> you know, being back and playing like real shows because I, mm-hmm. I think we know the difference is like playing Broadway and playing like a real show kind exactly. of thing. Sure. Um, and especially at this level, you know, like it was just like I mean, our first show that we did uh, with Yola was at Red Rocks. Like oh my God. you know what I mean? I was just like, oh my God. Um, so you know, having not just like the anxiety about like playing and making sure you don't mess up what is it six songs or whatever in 30 minutes it's like like you said if you mess up two songs that's like most of the set <laughs> you know like you've like ruined everything yeah um and i you know so i think like i my brain every time you is like you're gonna fuck this up and i'm like so now I embrace that for a second. I'm like, but when has that actually ever happened? I know. <laughs> like, oh, I never. Know. Yeah, like, yeah, literally crazy. not once. Right. So, you know, I I think a lot of people want to shy away from the, the anxiety or try to get our – I spent so much time trying to get myself to, like, not be anxious or, like, not be worried about something. I'm like, well, I just am, you know, and it's it's okay. Now I do a lot of, like – breathing and meditation and stretching and stuff especially be, like before playing those like arena shows or festivals or like that kind of thing where i am more nervous yeah um i try to just like take time embracing the the nerves of it and then trying to turn it around you know right right so right. that's been helpful yeah 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 uh, um do you warm up do any kind of thing like that before i actually start? i was just thinking about this this morning like how I don't uh, do yeah. warm ups. I I stretch and like do yoga uh-huh. um, <clears throat> before. I should probably be doing some rudiments or something. I don't know. Uh, that I'm sure would help a, a great deal. And I'm gonna do that tomorrow and let you know how, how <laughs> <Okay>. I feel. <laughs> um, but but normally no. Yeah. Um, just yeah, making sure I have uh, 
I just try to have some time by myself for a good like 20, 30 minutes before it's just like noise, you know, um, try to go sit in some silence or do like a meditation or something like that um, yeah. before. And that's kind of my, my warm up. I took a lesson from Dave Elich uh, mm-hmm. last year and got his online thing. I'm just trying to get serious about just staying healthy with mm-hmm. my playing as I've gotten older and experiencing more, you know, things yeah. uh, that happen. And uh, meditation has been uh, a thing that's been really helpful, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've been doing yoga for probably almost 20 years or so, Uh, mm -hmm. Um, more seriously in the last five years. And yesterday when I was getting ready to go downtown and play two gigs back to back, I'm like, oh, I always like take some time to warm up. I've got practice pads all over the house Mm -hmm. and, you know, do that thing. But I was running out of time to do that before I had to leave. But one of the things I wanted to do was get in my yoga. Mm. As I'm doing my yoga and I'm thinking about warming up, like, dude, this is more important than sitting mm-hmm. down with the practice pad right now. Yeah. You're going to be warmed up in the first three or four songs. Oh, yeah. Um, but right now, stretching your shoulders, mm-hmm. moving your body, getting these things, these large muscle groups warm yeah. and stretched is more important. And try and wrap so my good. head around this way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, after years of just feeling like practice pad, hands, sticks, no music, listening to stretch, mm-hmm. relax, breathe, those things, putting more value in those things yeah. uh, than, you know, the paradiddle shifts yeah, or something like that. Yeah, and that's that stuff is so great, too. Like, I, yes. you know, but yeah. uh, I think, too, for me, I'm like – I. I'm like, I feel like I'm tiring my hands out <laughs> instead of like, oh, you know, I've like done actually. That. I've done that. Yeah. You know, so like I would warm up and blah, blah, blah. And by the time I got on stage, I'm like, man, now my shoulder hurts from like, you know, which again goes to show that maybe I was doing some things wrong. So I try to like focus on that stuff more than, you know, making sure I can like play a paradiddle really quickly or something. I don't know. Uh, years ago, uh, I saw Ed Sof talking about like, he was on the practice pad moving just these large hand arm movements, but at a slow tempo. He goes, this is warming up. Mm. This, you know, going, you know, moving. That's not warming up. Like, I'm, I'm saving that like this, making sure that mm. everything is moving and, and I'm constant. So it's like um, that's been a shift for me. I still resisted it. I've I heard that when I was in my twenties, but mm-hmm. now I'm still just getting around to the point where I will sit down with the practice pad and like look, concentrate on movement and like mm-hmm. getting my body into that accustomed to the habit mm-hmm. of moving properly. Yeah, and the breathing too. And the mostly. breathing, yeah. yeah. Um, and I, you know, as a drum teacher, I feel like I I find myself. 70% of lessons going breathe, you know, like, because, right. you know, that's, and, and I notice it in myself where I'm like hunched over yep. or like whatever. And I, it's always because I'm not breathing properly. Mm-hmm. So um, my playing is definitely, I think, better in the last couple of years, like inten- intentionally focusing on breathing, if nothing else. 
Dave Elit also talks about like drumming is some one of those things that y- you can just as a young person it's just so easy to start getting sounds and getting grooves mm. and start playing but then to take it to the next level kind of like piano yeah. to take it to the next level it 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 takes a very intentional practice mm-hmm. uh, but I think with drumming it's just easy to kind of get going develop bad habits but still sound good. Mm, and, yes. and then as you get older and you develop it, I'm really struggling with kind of undoing these things so I can continue to Same. play yeah, me too. for a lot longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that just to kind of get those things right or fix those things mm-hmm. that are so important. One of the questions I had written down was kind of based on your unique experience in learning your mm-hmm. approach to the drums from an early age. As a teacher, do you think there is there anything that you bring to the student that maybe other teachers wouldn't. It's like, oh, well, here's this book. We're going to work out of this book. We're going to do that. Yeah, because uh, I I mean, I do teach kind of like basic reading and like that kind of thing because that's about my level mm-hmm. um, of it. And so just so that people can have like just some knowledge of that sure. if they want to continue on with someone else or like blah, blah, blah. Um, mostly what I focus on, though, is listening and breathing. Um, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Like I did kind of a um, a five week intensive with a friend um, in New Mexico like a couple months ago, and we spent I think the f- most of the time I-, I asked her to pick out like four or five songs that she wanted to learn, um, made a playlist or whatever, and we would spend like you know thirty or so minutes just listening to the song. Yeah, and because I'm like if you. I can teach you how to play beats all day, like any day of the week, you know what I mean? And you can have these beats that you know how to play, but then what, you know? And, you know, so because her thing was like, and most people is that they want to, you know, just start casually playing like with their partner or like with their friends. And they just, you know, they're not not like I'm trying to play arena shows. I just want to be able to like play. I've always wanted to, blah, blah, blah. Most of my students are adults and, and adult women actually. Um, and so my thing is, you know, you're going to have to, if you're trying to play this song, it's not enough just to like play along with the song. You have to learn how to learn the song. And so... Understand strong structure. Yeah, exactly. So, well, I, we spend time just like just going through the sections as we would when we learn songs, you know, like, okay, I'll go through the verse and like chorus and blah, blah, blah. And, and um, I you know, ask my students, like, do you hear what the hi-hat is doing? Do you hear it at all? Do you, you know, like, do you hear what the kick is doing and hear what the snare is doing? Yeah. Um, and as, and asking them to kind of, like, pay attention to those things. So this, because this is the way that I've managed to, this is how I've gotten out of the fact that I don't read. Um, you know, sure, it is sure. that I uh, am a very intentional listener. Um, so I, I hope that that's what I bring to it as, as opposed to, like, you know, just working through a book or like that kind of thing. And I focus on breathing because if you can, if you're breathing well, then your feel is going to be better. Your pocket's going to be better, everything, you know. Um, So I'm like, if nothing else, like you might not know how to read when we get done with lessons or whatever, but I think that you'll know how to like, settle into the playing as opposed to kind of like you know you're like really nervous and tense and your shoulders are tight and like all right. that kind of stuff um so that's 
mostly what I focus on in teaching. And I think that's the, the, the beauty of teaching adults is you're not preparing them for working, playing at school or school right. auditions mm-hmm. where you have to be able to read and sight reading is a big part of it. And it's such mm-hmm. an important part of our education. Totally. And yet at the same time, what is forgotten? So I think in our conversation, you shouldn't take away like these things are not any less important, but I think they're sometimes uh, the, the, they're put in front of yes. music mm-hmm. that at its heart and soul is mm-hmm. a listening thing. Yeah. And they're put in front of feel, you know, yes. and um, I mean, there's a million drummers in this city who can play circles around me, like, you know, and, uh, and that's amazing. And who can read, you know, just like sight read and all that kind of stuff. And that's so amazing. Um, but like, I, I think why I hopefully continue to get hired is that, um, you know, I always tell, tell artists, especially if it's like a last minute gig or something, I'm like, I might not know like this song, like as the record has it or like blah, 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 mm-hmm. but it, it will feel right, you know? Yeah, and yeah. <clears throat> And so that's always going to be like the most important thing to me um, and the person's going to say no no i don't want it to feel right i just want it just like the record but you know what that's <laughs> happened gonna, oh, it you know, has yeah, happened. oh yeah yeah it really has and or like or they'll be you know kind of specific about things that are not important to the like grand scheme of the song you know it'll be like oh the kick is supposed to be on the e and kind of mm-hmm. thing and i'm like okay that's fine but it, it's not really like necessary it doesn't change a song that it's not yeah, yeah you know yeah. what i mean yeah. and um i was really fortunate when i first moved to town to uh get a gig with bridget tatum um it's a country artist and mostly writer but she uh does a lot of artistry stuff as well and you know i was uh, i joke with nick Vuda all the time about this because he was the one who was on the records and I was like, I cannot play like Nick Vita. Like, <laughs> I, there's no way. I, I mean, to this yeah. day, I can't, you yeah. know? And um, and I was just, you know, new to town. I was just so anxious about like doing well on this gig. And I remember telling uh, Bridget, like, you know, I try to learn these songs like note for note, but I cannot. And she's like, I don't want that. I want you, you know? Yeah, and she's like, yes, if I... Yes wanted it note for note, Nick would be here right now. Yeah, right. You know, he's not here, you're here, blah, 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 blah. And that was really such, um, that gave me a lot of freedom and in, in how I've like uh, continued to approach uh, drumming, especially here, because I was just so overwhelmed right. when I first moved here. Right. I was just like, oh my God, this is not going to happen. This is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so having a, a person who I respect and trusted and all that kind of stuff uh, tell me like just be yourself mm-hmm. um was really very freeing yeah honestly well years ago i lost a lot of gigs to nick so i know how you <laughs> feel <laughs> we all have <laughs> we all have <laughs> yeah um no he's yeah he's great i i'm i'm due for a, a, a like to have him back on he was like the second or third interview we ever oh, did cool. And we've we've known each other for years. Yeah. And um, but I feel like it's time to play catch up. Yeah. With with him. He's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. What a great dude. Um, well, tell me about tell me about Yola. Who is she, and how did the gig come about? Yeah, um, Yola is uh, she's an artist from England. Um, 
And I first heard about her, I think, in like 2019 when she had released her Walk Through Fire record. And it was just like, you know, there's this black British country singer on the scene. I was like, what the fuck uh, <laughs> is that? <laughs> and what are you saying right now? Um, and so I you know, started digging into that album. Um, and she was nominated, I think, for four Grammys for that mm. one, uh, just wow. like right out the gate, you know, and. I was really just intrigued by her as an artist and mm -hmm. her music and um, the fact that it was like country-ish, Americana-ish, but like had a obviously like a lot of soul and there's pop and like there's just like- a lot going on. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Um, so I had just, I'd been a, a big fan of hers for a while um, and, you know, had been like following her on social media and such and then- I during the pandemic and a little bit before I had a, a nanny job, um, which was uh, a lot. But <laughs> there's a lot going on. There's yeah. Um, Again, <laughs> yeah. So I was working one day and dealing with the kids and like looked at my phone and saw that I'd gotten a message from Yola uh, on Instagram and like a follow. Um, she followed me and <clears throat> a mutual friend of ours, Ruby Amonfu had uh, posted about me for my birthday. And um, Yola, you know, had to stay in America like when everything shut down. Oh, wow. Um, instead of going back to England, I think mostly she didn't want to like get stuck <laughs> there or whatever um, and not be able to come back and work and all that kind of stuff. And um, so, yeah, she was like, you know, I'm new to town. Um, and trying to like meet more people and make some friends, like blah, 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 blah. So we just started like talking on Instagram mm. um, for a few months actually. And um, she had one time mentioned like, you know, when things kind of open up again, would you be down to like go on the road or play some shows or blah, blah, blah. And I had kind of, at the beginning of 2020, I'd done a, a month long tour, which was great and with, wonderful people but I it was kind of a lot for me you mm -hmm. know like being out um that long and for for various reasons and so I was just like oh, man I really don't want to go on the road with like anyone honestly yeah. but I was like I also love Yola so yeah. yes um yeah. and yeah so I think a few months into us just kind of like talking on Instagram here and there whatever uh, she messaged me and was like, hey, would you be down to do this Grammy thing and a Seth Meyers at the Ryman in a couple of weeks? And I was like, yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> what's this question? Um, so, yeah, the first thing I did with her was for a Seth Meyers thing. Wow. Um, and something for the Grammy, yeah, that we recorded at the Ryman, which was awesome because I was like, man, it's nice to, like, just record things and be home by, like, 5 p.m. What's this life? <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, so I just started, uh, most of it was that until like this summer, we kind of did, you know, recordings for various things like TV spots or mm -hmm. um, stuff like that. And then once like touring and stuff started getting scheduled, then, you know, started going out on the road. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And now it's it's been, Do you, are you guys doing your own show as well? You're opening up for Chris. Yeah. She's doing a uh, like headline stuff like starting in the spring. Okay. Um, and we have, we've done like festivals, so that's very like you know Yola specific kind of thing, but and and longer sets. Yeah. Um, but 
And we did like two like warm up shows huh. uh, in June, so that our first like it wouldn't be like okay we haven't played together and here's Red Rocks kind of thing, <laughs> um, you know. So we had like a practice or two, and then did these like kind of small amphitheaters, mm. um, like two shows of that in June, and then like a month later did Red Rocks or whatever. So, gotcha. um, so those two shows were really. I guess the only ones where it was like just us. Okay. Um, and then the others have been like either opening or like co-headlining kind gotcha. of stuff. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. W- w- the nuts and bolts of that gig, like, are, are you running a click? Or are you? No, I don't. No? Um, I, you know, I I was for a bit, and then it just ended up being we were like changing the set every night or like every time we play it and all that kind of stuff and i was just like this is actually driving me were, were they asking you to start to use a click did no. you bring that okay i i have one with me always yeah, you right. know but um and and for the first like several i i did try to use it just to make sure that i was like you know keeping the songs where they needed to be but now i've kind of played them enough to right, where i right. know how they're supposed to feel mm-hmm. for the most part mm-hmm. um and because like the sets are so short, I don't know. It just was like I wanted one less thing to like try sure, to think sure, about, sure, you know. Sure, sure. Um, so yeah, I'm not doing anything like electronic right now. Um, maybe when it's time for like the headline stuff and it, there's more time and yeah, what do you think you'll bring in? Um, <clears throat> I could see maybe having like six you Simmons know, pads. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's <laughs> so basically. That'd be amazing. Uh, I could see like maybe having like you know electronic drum pad or like some more kind of like percussive elements or something like that uh, in adjacent to like my kit. But right now, again, it's just like it's quick t- uh, setup, quick. T- you know, it's like festival stuff basically. So you're just like right in and out. You know, and we only get thirty minutes like exactly, <sighs> and yeah. so this is just like. The, the less, the better right now. Right, right. Um, yeah, we'll see. If there's a percussionist that's, like, also in the headline mm-hmm. thing, then I am, I don't need to think about those things as much. But mm-hmm. there is there is a lot of, like, percussion on this newest record. I, I, I own congas. Just yeah. put that out there. There you go. Just I'm going to come get some. <laughs> um <laughs> yeah, you're like if you need. Anybody. I know. Sorry. Uh, they actually did just buy some. Nice. Um, no, a friend of mine. Me. A friend of mine used to like every time somebody would be on the phone, they'd be like talking to their mother on the phone, and he'd walk by and say, "Hey, man, get me on it." Like no matter what it is, <laughs> yeah. I think it was like, "I'm talking to my mom, <laughs> dude. Get me on it." Yeah, <laughs> it's not a gig. It's not as relaxed. Yeah, relaxed. or always networking. Always, yeah, always networking. Yeah. Always networking. <laughs> dude, tell your mom I'm free. Tell your tell mom if she needs anything. If she I'm needs free. drums. She needs whatever. <laughs> I'm on it. She needs congas. So, like whatever. Yeah, shaker. Yeah. Uh, I still I put myself out there always. Too. <laughs> like <laughs> you just like come up and play shaker or like clap or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah so. Yeah, I I have considered thinking about like adding more percussion and things like that, like even to these like short sets. But it's just, you know, we've managed to kind of like re- reconfigure the the album for live purposes, which is what should be done, I think. You know? Yeah, people get a unique experience, exactly. but they still get what they want if exactly. they know the record. Yeah, and it and also I feel like 
knowing how to like entertain and, 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 you know, hit it and quit it in the 30 minute set. Mm -hmm. Then when you have a chance to stretch out and headline, it's just going to be amazing. Oh yeah. You know, just all those things. That's, that's so fun. And to be able to work with a stripped down environment and not feel locked in. Cause I feel like we're kind of reaching Mm -hmm. that point of diminishing returns. And I struggle with that. It's like, Mm -hmm. I've been working, been touring with a new, newer group and it's like, how to use a click and how when to use it when not to use it Mm. because when does it start to because right now everybody's kind of old school nobody's most people are on wedges um Mm. you know they're 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 no i'm the only one that has the click if it's running right and so how much push and pull is happening on stage? When do I hold my ground? When do I? Right. So those, you always have to ask yourself those questions. And like, um, because the person that's hiring you, that's performing, you're there to support them and back them up. Mm -hmm. You're not there to prove that you can play to a click. Yeah. You're there to support. Because like, who can't? You know what I mean? But like, if it, yeah, yeah, I, for me, at least, I noticed that I, I ended up just kind of thinking about it more, Mm. You know, and so I was just like that. I don't really that doesn't need to be happening. You know, um, it's like, for example, I was also singing on the gig like and playing and I just could never like, you know, figure out the mic positions or where I wasn't like hitting it all the time. Yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah. Um, and so actually at Red Rocks is when I like I was had it for half of the gig where I was like singing and then I just was like, I can't. I pushed it away. What about like a Garth Brooks headset? Oh, well, I'm going to get one of those, nice, I think, you nice, know. Nice. Um, then people hear me like clearing my throat every five seconds. So that'll be really <laughs> sexy. It'll be great. I can't wait. I can't do it because I have this habit of like going. Yeah, I have. A, I notice I have a lot of weird like quirks where I'm like, <clears throat> or like, I don't know. I just yeah. always yeah. make weird yeah. noises. I'll do a session and engineer and say, hey, check this out. And they'll like pull up the overheads and like. What are you doing in there, man? <laughs> like, I'm trying to get a vocal credit, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but that's that to me, going back to the meditation, yoga and breathing, mm. I think it's me, it's like this uh, ujjayi breathing mm. and, you know, that thing. Yep. But I'm doing that and I'm holding tension in the base of my neck. So I'm really being conscientious of that. It's like it was kind of a joke. It was kind of a thing. You know, Mm -hmm. oh, you make this noise when you play, whatever. But I'm starting to see like maybe that is me holding that tension. Just kind of like going back to that, what Mm -hmm. we're talking about. Exactly. Last thing I want to ask you about is looking to the future. Mm. Yeah. uh, Producing. Yeah. Writing. Where do you see yourself in the music business down the road yeah or what's the next thing are you going to shift to something what's your new career gonna be (laughs) um i have started especially the last couple years thinking about longevity um and especially i mean i love playing drums but i also like this is exhausting sometimes you know Mm -hmm. and um and also just thinking about like how I can frankly like be home more or mm-hmm. um, not have to like work at night or like, you know, like these kind of things in, in the coming years or to get to do it because I'm like actually choosing to, not because I have these to. These are important or, questions. Yeah. Or because I like, I, I'm so grateful for the, the work that I have now. I've, I feel like I've 
gotten to a place in my career where I can say no to things, which is really fucking great. Um, and I am really blessed to get to like play with people who I admire and who push me and challenge me and all those kind of things. So that's it's not there's nothing against like the season of the life where I'm in in that regard. But as far as longevity, um, I have I've always wanted to be a songwriter. I've always wanted to produce mm-hmm. and and. Uh, these are things that I kind of, when I moved to Nashville, I was like, okay, I'm going to find someone who can like teach me production or like whatever. And I would ask people and, um, they're like, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. That, that'll be great. You know? And then I, that never ever happened. And, um, and so, you know, I, at the beginning of lockdown, I took a couple like Ableton courses because I was like, I have to learn this you know and and thinking too about like the kind of gigs that i want in the future whether they be be like pop gigs and like all that kind of stuff i mean these days you have to be as good at like using a doll as you are at the instrument that you've played for the last 30 years or whatever so which i don't like how when and when i have learned that you know (laughs) um so i'm i finally was like okay there's time now like i can take some courses and so i've been trying to like work on um, writing, work on making music, even on my own, uh, and then writing with people and all that kind of stuff. So my hope is that in, in the coming years, I am like doing more of that than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will hopefully be playing drums until I'm in the grave. So it's not like in a, a replacement. Um, I just... Yeah, I want to be able to do it when I want to specifically yeah, yeah, yeah. and and be able to like stay home the other times, you know. As yeah. an introvert, I think you understand. Um yeah. and yeah, so we'll see. I could be I I could be wrong. It could be like 365 drumming and which I hope not cuz that sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really important for people to ask themselves these questions like what works for you? Mm-hmm. And and design that life that works for you and not feel like you have to recreate this image that other people have of you mm-hmm. and uh because there's this idea that we have to stay busy constantly totally and and, and i am the poster child for that yeah ask my wife it's like i know same sometimes you yeah. know mm-hmm. and so it's uh, trying to come to terms with well your mortality mm-hmm. uh, but also uh if you really love music and you love drumming, figure out a way to retain that love by... That's the, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, by doing the things that work for you. Because I, there's been times in my life where it's like, man, I've got all this, got all these gigs and back, blah, blah, and by the end of the day, it's like, I don't even want to see a pair of sticks. And I'm no, like, yeah. that's that's where I don't want to be. Absolutely. And, that's, and I've been there many, many, many yeah. times. Yeah. Um, and so being and there's just so many other aspects of music that I really love. And I and I think especially like since I started DJing, I'm like, oh, my God, this is just like a different part of fun that I didn't know that I could have. in right. music. You that's know? what fa- that I'm really that I knew. It's like that's what fascinates me. Not mm-hmm. having like done a couple like DJ gigs where I just put on music for people to dance. to. Yeah. I did that years ago but not the DJing that you're talking about, mm-hmm. not even close. So I'm like, 
That's really fascinating to it me. It really is. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm like, I, I feel like it made me fall in love with music in a different way, yes. which I really, really needed at the time, yes. honestly. Uh-huh. Um, and so, and thinking about like pursuing songwriting or different kinds of artistry um, and, and things like that, I'm like, I think that that will mean longevity. And it, um, and it's, it, you know, it's always great if you can like use your talents in, in various ways. And so uh, I try to push myself to do things that make me uncomfortable um, which is why I find like myself a podcast. In the, yeah, like a podcast or like living in the West Bank or, you know, whatever. The, the two are so similar. The two are very similar. They're basically, <laughs> you know, one and the same. Um, yeah, I mean, like a podcast, for example, like I would have been like, no, I'm not going to talk to someone for like hours and like, you know, I, who knows what I'm going to say. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I, I look forward to seeing where it takes me, you know, um, yeah. I've, it's been a, definitely a journey and a half so far. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's, I so appreciate you braving these waters. Yeah. Here. Thank you for having me. I'm, a, like I said, a big fan of awesome. the podcast and thank you. had wanted to be in, in this conversation for a long time. So yeah. I, I appreciate it. Thank well, you. I, I, I appreciate you lending your voice to this and and it's it's just so important and uh just excited for what the future holds for you and and, and all this stuff so no i really appreciate you being here thank you yeah thank you awesome so there you go my conversation with drummer megan coleman she is another fabulous musician that reminds us that music comes from the heart we spend a lot of time trying to figure out this whole drummy thing out and how to make ourselves better, and how to connect with the people that we play with. But um, at the end of the day, it really comes down to what moves you. And uh, Megan is just a great example of someone that has found success in this crazy business just by playing from the heart. And it was really inspiring to speak with her, listening to the music that she's done. And I'm excited to keep in touch with her and, and kind of follow her career. And I encourage you all to do the same. So as you know, I've been your host for the last few weeks, uh, giving my co-host, Zach Albetta, the time that he needs to support his wife uh, through some tough times that she's experiencing with her side of the family. So we wish him well and send some good love and vibes his way. So I'll be back with you next week with drummer Rob Rufus. He plays drums with the Blacklist Royals and the Bad Signs. Uh, This is going to be really interesting. We haven't even recorded this interview yet. But uh, he was a stage four cancer survivor, spent like three years in the hospital recovering. He wrote a book that's being turned into a movie. Uh, I'm real excited to uh, speak with Rob. So stay tuned next week for my interview with Rob Rufus. But for now, everyone, thanks so much for listening. If you can, get vaxxed, and I hope to see you around real soon. Bye-bye.